Today we'll be discussing our top albums from 1991, and we'll be discussing the reasons why we connect so much with the music we heard as teenagers. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing our top albums from 1991, and we'll be discussing the reasons why we connect so much with the music we have heard originally as teenagers. But first, Ali, anything going on? No, dude, there's no time for a but first, okay? There's no time for any banter or preambles. This was the most difficult exercise. This is the most challenging episode we have today. I challenge all our listeners to look at 1991. Now, some of you might have been born after 1991. It may not be the same thing. But if you were born in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, look at 91. Look at that year and the music that came out. And Asif challenged me to pick my top 10 albums. I think I have like 45 honorable mentions. It's very, very difficult. I had to go deep into the albums and go, okay, look, this album had four songs I love. This album, I thought I loved it, but it's only because of one song or two songs. So... Sorry, black sheep, but you're out. Anyway, and again, in the second part, we'll talk about why albums and music from that time connects with us so much. But yeah, I guess you're right. We better get a move on because this is going to be a stressful episode. Okay, we're going to start, I think, with our honorable mentions. What do you think about that? Because that, that that is going to give people an idea of the depth of music that was coming out in this year and around this time. Also, Asif, it's regard, 1991 is, is between, I think, 85 or 86 to 95, 96. It's called the golden era of rap as well. And so as a guy who loved rap, there was just so many great works of music coming out in in that genre and in this year in particular there were so many so many in hip-hop and r&b and rap so i'm going to go through some honorable mentions here and uh just to give you an idea of what's going on there. and i'm sure in my honorable mentions you're going to be like what the hell how's that not in your top 10 because it's difficult that's why so start with some of this rap i'm going to say de la soul De La Soul had an album called De La Soul is Dead. That's an honorable mention. Jodeci, Forever My Lady. I love Jodeci. This album, not their best in my opinion. Oh my gosh. I thought Jodeci was one guy. Oh God. Ghetto Boys. Oh my God. It's four. Uh, This is embarrassing. Ghetto Boys. So Ghetto Boys, Heavy D and the Boys, Slick Rick, all of these guys. Will Smith. I don't know if he's considered the golden era of rap, but he should fit in that hip hop genre for sure. His album, Homemade, came out in 91. Will Smith. That has Summertime on it, right? Oh, yeah. Summer, summer, summertime. It's still, I mean, it doesn't have too much else. It has two other songs. So Naughty by Nature. Come on, man. Debut album by Naughty by gonna, Nature. I was going to on my uh, honorable mentions as well. I mean, are you down with OPP? Yes. I mean, who isn't down with OPP if it's 1991? And Ghetto Boys, I mentioned that it was a great song. One of my favorite all-time songs in rap history is My Mind's Playing Tricks on Me. This year, Halloween fell on a weekend. Anyway, look up that song. It is one of the best songs ever. But that album... 
was not in. Again, I go to Desert Island. I don't know why I have to go to Impending Death, but I'm like top 10. So you can only take these albums. So unfortunately, I got to leave those behind. And then leaving that genre of music out of time by, uh, by R.E.M. is a phenomenal album. Okay. Losing My Religion is a great song. Shiny Happy People is a yeah, very annoying Yeah, it certainly song. sticks in your head. I find that so annoying. It, yeah. It sticks in your and head and not in a healthy way. So I was like, I you're out of here, I would say it's a seminal album for R.E.M. It's, it's not probably one of my favorites, but, it's, uh, but it, exactly. it, it completely changed R.E.M. They became the biggest band in the world after that album. Absolutely. So for sure, yeah, it's also on my honorable mentions. Yeah. Another honorable mention for me, Color Me Bad, mm. right? Because that <laughs> album had your favorite song, Asif, I want to sex mm-hmm. you up all night. Uh, so that didn't have too much else on it. But that was like, again, like, uh, you know, these <laughs> these young dudes debut album. It was like, you know, it was, it was a pretty important piece of work. Brian Adams has an album there. Like he, again, he had better albums than that. There. No, but Waking Up the Neighbors, it was a huge album. It was produced by Mutt Lang. Yeah. And it was such a commercial sounding album. It has some great songs on it. I even saw him in concert that, that year that it came right. out. Okay, and uh, it had the number one single of 1991, which was "Everything I Do, I Do It For You." It's true. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 So there was that song, which I'm okay with. Can't stop this thing we started. Was a great song. I I don't know. I I, there's other Brian Adams work that I really love. That's why he's an honorable mention for me. And then um, Prince. 1991 Diamonds and Pearls, not one of my favorite albums, yeah, but it's so Prince, good. man. So I love good. Prince. So Prince has to that. be there. Tom Petty, Into the Great Wide Open. That one, I did, I was like, should this just be my top 10? You, might, you might hear it from that later on somebody else's list. You might. I knew I might. And then Smashing Pumpkins' debut album. It touches on what you just said. Was it good? It was good, but it's just not as so- solid as like Siamese Dream. There, there are other better albums. So I was like, you know, if we profile a different year, you will be up there smashing pumpkins, but just not yet. So those are my, uh, there's many more. But anyway, it was, uh, you know, Ghetto, Ghetto Gangstar has an album called Step in the Arena, which is so good also. Uh, but then I look at it, I go, oh, I really just like that one song more than anything. So what am I really talking about here? But yeah, those are my honorable mentions. What do you got? Yeah, so I'll mention a couple ones. And these are just things that are memorable from that year. Some of them aren't that particularly like my favorites. But, you know, Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch came out with good vibrations. Ah, I mean, you can certainly make fun of Mark Wahlberg back then. But Good Vibrations is an excellent song. That song is great. It's and true. then there's the band where everybody's embarrassed to say that they own this album, which is Pocket Full of Kryptonite by the Spin Doctors. I don't think anybody likes the Spin Doctors anymore, but back then they were like the most popular band, it seems. Well, they had that one song. What was their uh, one t- song? I can't. Two Princes. Two Princes. What? Yeah. I didn't even think that oh was the gosh. one. It is. is it? But anyway. Isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Well, I didn't own the album, clearly. I apologize. Yeah, you sold it at the uh, like used up. CD store. <laughs> yeah. And uh, No Bird. More Tears by Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, oh, yeah. that, No yeah. More Tears is a great song. That, that The title track is, is just amazing. It, it's some yeah, it's great, great songs book. on it. It was really, it was Ozzy Osbourne becoming mainstream as well. Uh, there was Tupac, Tupacalypse Now. I mean... Oh my God. Oh my God. How is that not my honorable uh, mention? uh, Amazing from Tupac. Sarah McLaughlin's second album 
is called Solace. I saw that. I looked up the songs. I was like, Yeah, it's she not, really became like the huge sensation uh, that she eventually became with the next album, which was Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, yeah. which came out a couple of years exactly. later. But this album, I, I can remember, I bought it when I was on uh, vacation in Toronto at the Eaton Center. I remember buying it at HMV there. And uh, I was a huge Sarah McLaughlin fan way back before she became kind of super internationally famous so that album is on my honorable mentions even though i love that album everybody's favorite canadian singer songwriter tom cochran came out with mad mad world and life is a highway it's again so hard to explain how big that album became because tom cochran was famous with red rider beforehand and then of course they had huge songs as well but that song became an international success all over the world and then now it's funny most people actually know the song life is a highway because it was re-recorded for the car soundtrack by Rascal Flatts, the country band. And so a lot of people have only heard that version. They don't even know that old, that older version, which is crazy. So uh, I saw Tom Cochran so many times in concert that year and, and the year years afterwards. It kind of goes but without saying that, that you yeah, did you that, that but happened. that's still good to know. And then the <laughs> other one, which you know, I feel like it should have made it, it was such a step forward for this band, which is Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was a yeah. big step forward. Again, Rick Rubin produced it. Again, Rick Rubin, you know, a big rap producer moving into rock and alternative music and metal. I mean, it's it's tough. It's it's such a, like I said, it's a huge leap forward for the band. It, that really broke them into uh, mainstream success as well. And that's kind of a theme you're seeing with all of these ones we're talking about, right? It went from a band that was, uh, or a group or a singer that was small and made them huge. But it just couldn't, I couldn't put it on the top 10. I hear you. I have three lowlights that were real disappointments of 91 that I'll share at the end. Huh? Let's end on a low note. Why end on a high note? Let's, let's, where other podcasts zig, why don't we zag? So then for this part, why don't we each just like you say 10, I say 10, and we kind of go up to our number one? Yeah. I mean, this is not in order. That's too much. That's too much. Mine's in order, but that's fine. Is it of reference? Okay. Dude, this is already so difficult for God's sake. So, the hip, the road apples. Now, this album is so unbelievably good. It's so jam packed with hits. Little Bones, Twist My Arm, Long Time Running, Three Pistols. I really, really like the song Cordelia. Actually, uh, that didn't get as much play, but for me, it did. Fiddler's Green is also a beautiful song. Last of the Unplugged Gem Beauty. It's jam-packed there's maybe two songs you would forward on this uh, on this album and it's one of the best and i saw them in concert i got pushed up onto the stage with the help of my buddy manish and a few other friends i've told this story i stage dove people moved out of my way and i landed on my face and uh and that in no way made the concert a bad thing it was all great fat lip at the end had a wonderful time so that album is uh is just it's a great time it's a great album it's a great period of my life i think i had all my hair in 91 also <laughs> you may you you may have and so yeah i didn't put that on my list i thought you were going to mention it so i didn't mention it in my honorable mentions it's amazing and again like that album keeps on giving you know you keep listening to it and i i'm like i don't really like those last few songs they're a bit different and then i heard them play last of the unplugged gems in uh in concert and that kind of guitar with that reverb like it's just an amazing uh, album so yeah i mean i wish it was on mine but it's not 
But my uh, number 10 album, so at the bottom of my list is Pearl Jam's 10, which we uh, devote yeah. a whole episode to. So not much else to say. It really is such a great album. Almost every song is uh, as a stone cold classic. So Pearl Jam's 10 is yeah. uh, on my list. For my money, one of the best albums you could ever, ever buy. And it was all downhill for Pearl Jam uh, from that moment on, in my opinion, as we, uh, as we, as I discussed with you and you rejected. All right. Next one I got is Ice T's OG original gangster. I bought this. Uh, I think I had this in a cassette. Actually, I don't even think I had it in a CD. I bought this um, piece of music. What, what I don't remember the vehicle uh, it, it was, but it was again, an amazing, amazing. It is hyper produced there are i think seven different producers were working on it it sold incredibly ranked one of the top best rap albums of all time there's a book called you know a thousand albums you must hear before you die it's on many many lists many people think it's ice t's best work i certainly did think that songs like um the new jack hustler theme so the movie new jack hustler i don't know if you remember that this they had a a, a song from that soundtrack so it's inextricably linked yeah i think it was this, called new jack city though is the name of it yeah new jack city sorry is the uh, new jack hustler is the song yeah, nino's the theme song. connected to nino brown from new jack city i'm gonna watch that movie i've talked about it too long 10 seconds that now I have to watch that movie. Oh, you've never I, seen it? Dude, I've seen it like 11 times. Oh, I mean, I have to see it again. again. Just I'm like, yeah, how could you not have seen New Jack City? No, okay. don't be crazy. Okay. OG Original Gangster title track is amazing. Body Count, amazing song. There's mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. meat on this album. And it was amazing. And it was, for me, it's it's the height of Ice-T and it was an incredible album. My uh, number nine is kind of one that I don't think you would, ex you probably just looked right over it when you looked at that list of albums I sent you from 1991. And it's John Mellencamp, not John Cougar Mellencamp. This is when he started going by John Mellencamp. Yeah. It's whenever he wanted. And it's just because I listened to this album on repeat so many times. It's so stuck in my head. Yeah. So I went through this big John Mellencamp phase again. You could probably guess by the type of music I like and the type of music that sort of come out of my list that's not a surprising i like that kind of like down home kind of rock americana style and i think you know i think john mellencamp and bruce springsteen are like the epitome of these kinds of bands and mellencamp had a series of albums in the 80s and early 90s going from aha uh -huh, scarecrow the lonesome jubilee and then whenever we wanted yeah. all the way to human wheels and dance naked i think he had about a 10-year span where his albums were just excellent and this was kind of his return to a bit more rock sound it's interesting it was his 11th album and if you read what he thinks about it, he didn't actually like it mellencamp's a big painter i don't know if you guys knew that uh he he's a, he's a big painter and the album cover has a bunch of his paintings on it and he was totally into painting and kind of was doing these albums just to kind of fulfill his contract with the record company and mm -hmm. he didn't really like them and right. i'm like no this is like one of my favorite albums by you so anyway that's for, for well, me it's johnny and i agree on one thing that this is something we both didn't like he didn't like it <laughs> i looked at yeah. this album i'm a big fan i was a fan of john cougar and i mean early john cougar people go early go, oh jack and diane i'm talking earlier mm -hmm, one of my mm -hmm. favorite songs and it's actually a song that i can sing and there's very few songs that i could sing but it's called Ain't Even Done With The Night. And that's mm -hmm. early John Cougar. Love that track. And I'm a big fan of this dude, but this album, I couldn't, I didn't recognize one song on it. So it didn't even make the honorable mention. All right. My next guy here. What did I do? Okay. So this is, I mean, this is like, uh, I was into rap. I was trying to be as proud a Canadian as possible. 
And this album called And Now the Legacy Begins came out, debut album from a Canadian hip-hop duo called The Dream Warriors. It's weird that it's in my top 10, but it's like, dude, if you listen to my definition of a mm -hmm. boom-bastic jazz style, it just, it does things to your body. You, you, you just feel incredible energy immediately. Ludi is a great song. Uh, this voyage through the multi, I don't know if these guys were on mushrooms when they were recording this or what. <laughs> wash your face in my sink. He says the word wash your face in my sink. He says, uh, and then face in the basin. They say face in the basin way too many times, but, but still a great track. I don't know, man, these dudes, part of me wanted so much more for the dream warriors. And you know what? I, I don't actually know what they're doing, but I know that they didn't put music out together that, that competed with this debut album. It's an incredible debut album. Takes me back to a very, very happy place. Well, let's get those guys on the podcast sometime. And I love my definition. My definition, they used a sample from, there was a game show, which I think was Canadian. It, yeah. Boop, I mean, boop, 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 yeah. Boop, boop. My definition. Uh, yeah. so, they, my, they, they, so my definition is this is the song. And then they use the theme song from definition in it. I totally remember that. But yeah, I don't know what those yeah. guys are doing now. Like I said, they should come on the podcast. <laughs> they should. Bring okay, it. My number eight is an album we just talked about recently, Nirvana's Nevermind. I mean, there's nothing else to say. It's one of the greatest albums that, that, that I've, that I've listened to, but we talked about how it's weird. I put it ahead of Pearl Jam, even though I said Pearl Jam was a better album. And it's just, I was weighing them back and forth in terms of which one is more 1991 to me. And I put it higher today. I don't know why I voted for Pearl Jam mm -hmm. last time, but I don't know. If that's just why I made this list. I'm like, that nah, I can't do it. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move these around. Well, that's why this, this, exercise it's like there are no right answers but there's also no wrong answers there's but there's you know what i mean like it's like you can't win but you also can't lose it's very weird and week to week yeah, you might yeah, have a different exactly, list exactly. here but anyway the point was it was uh, a, a little bit like a lot of sophie's choice type of vibes here you know the next album for me is uh now i don't know if you you noticed this tons of live albums tons of live albums in 91 mm -hmm, which yeah. i was a big fan of live albums i really Iron Maiden, The Scorpions. Do you remember The Scorpions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and The Scorpions Live, still one Dude, of my favorites. Winds of Change was one of the top songs of 1991. Yes, unbelievable. I didn't know that. I actually did not know that. I was just talking about, like, my favorite live albums and just lying back with my Walkman on and putting my headphones on and just <laughs> hearing these crowds mm -hmm. and, like, you know, this this German dude going, I want to take you on a holiday, California. And you hear all the crowd. and It was amazing, amazing. And like uh, Bruce Bruce Dickinson, scream for me, mm -hmm. Hammersmith. And then this the, the Hammersmith would just all cheer and yell. And I'd be mm -hmm. like, this is unbelievable. I love live albums. So this is an amazing live album. And in my opinion, if you were only going to get one album from the Rolling Stones, Flashpoint is the one. Dude, start me up. Rock in a Hard Place, Ruby Tuesday, You Can't Always Get What You Want, Paint It Black, Sympathy for the Devil, Brown Sugar, Jumpin' Jack Flash, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, High Wire. This is an insane album. And for me, it was like, I don't think I need to hear anything more from the Rolling Stones. I'm full. My cup runneth over. Thank you for everything you've done, Rolling Stones. And then, miraculously, these guys are still around, rocking 
till 2021? What? This is insane. But anyway. I know. You thought it was almost going to be the end for them. They're going to retire soon. And a Flashpoint was great because it almost doubled as a greatest hits album, right? It was. like, And that's, I mean, that's, like, that's why we listened to it, it right? Sure. But it was this was coming yeah. off of their big kind of comeback, their huge tours that they were doing. So uh, it was kind of recorded during that time. Yeah. So my next one is Tom Petty's Into the Great Wide Open. And, you, you know, I just love Tom Petty so much. So this was kind of, he did Full Moon Fever a few years before that, and he did that by himself. That was a solo album. And then he's back with the Heartbreakers, the Heartbreakers. for Into the Great Wide Open. But yeah. Jeff Lynne, who produced Full Moon Fever, also produced this. So that's why they're so similar. It had the single Learning to Fly on it, which was the longest running number one single for that band at that point. They had a bunch of uh, videos, Learning to Fly, Into the Great Wide Open, and uh, I just love Tom Petty. Again, when you're talking about like American rock, it's it's Tom Petty is one of the the godfathers of that. Absolutely. And I loved. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I started getting into him with Full Moon Fever. Then I got this. Then I got his old albums and followed his career. Really, he has three albums in a row that are stone cold classics, as I always say. This one, Full Moon Fever, and the next one after this was Wildflowers, which was again a solo album. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, th this song, I mean, this album, every song is, is amazing on it. And I almost saw Tom Petty a few years before this, and I was really excited, and I had tickets, and then he canceled his show in, in my hometown of Ottawa. Do you know what he was doing at that time, <laughs> instead of playing here? It Don't was say Lay's potato chip. <laughs> oh, Super Bowl halftime no, show. No, that would, I wish that was that would have been a better excuse. It was Maybe a Sunday it. though, and he canceled because he was doing the MTV Video Music Awards, and Axl okay. Rose again wanted to do a duet with him of Free Falling, right? His big uh, Tom Petty's big hit. Oh, so he canceled okay. the whole Ottawa All show right. to go there, and he never came back. Up until a couple of years ago, and I saw him at our, our blues fest, which is an outdoor music festival here. It doesn't it's not just blues; it's all kinds of music. And I saw him. I went with my uh, wife and my friends, and then he died two months later. And I'm like, no, wow! I, I'm just you know, obviously it's it's incredibly sad he died. I'm very thankful I got to see him once in concert before that. So uh, for me, uh, this just brings back great memories. Yeah. All right, my next album, I'm going to be very surprised if you don't have this on your top 10 list. It's Lenny Kravitz, Mama Said. Do you have it in your top 10? <laughs> no, uh, I don't. You're insane. Um, You're insane. Go ahead and I'll tell you. I'll, right. I'll tell you why. Okay, all right. So we saw, this is 91, but I saw Lenny Kravitz, I think it was in 89. He was opening for the cult and most people did not know who he was. And I think- Right, I remember that tour. Everybody from my high school went to that concert. I didn't go, but it was huge, yeah. uh, him opening for the cult. Yeah. It was amazing. It was about the cult, but but Lenny Kravitz, it was, he already had that stage presence. He already had that talent and it was amazing. And there were, you know, I went to a lot of concerts and most concerts, as you would have experienced too, Asif, people aren't there for the opener. They're just kind of finding their seat, getting their beer, doing whatever, right? This was like noticeably 75% people plus in their seats there to rock on and you know and it, it almost could have been a double bill but it was too early in his career so mama said is the second studio album so check this out man fields of joy all right always on the run he's accompanied by who on always on the run slash okay who is he accompanied with uh, on all i ever wanted he's accompanied by sean ono oh, lennon. Wow, lennon yeah yeah uh he's got it ain't, it ain't over by till it's over stand by my woman flowers for zoe and fields of joy are great songs the reason I bring up Slash and, and, and Sean Lennon are because 
people are already co-signing mm-hmm. this guy after just one album. He's doing his second album and like these big names are like, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely work with you, man. You're something special. And he really was. And this album's great. And just remembering him opening for the cult a few years prior and then seeing him just blow up with this album. We were like, yeah, this is great. We we're so happy we got to see him when we did. And he he deserved all the accolades he was getting for this album. Well, your uh, thoughts? Yeah, it's a yes, bit awkward. I guess problem? I might as well come out and say this now. Lenny Kravitz is by far my wife's favorite male singer. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And yes. I don't really care for Lenny Kravitz. Except for Are You Gonna Go My Ooh. Way? Because that song is amazing. Is it because he is a man in his 50s, still with ripped abs and beautiful eyes and features, and you know your wife would leave you for him? I mean, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's some jealousy in, in there on my part, I'm sure. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really care for Lenny Kravitz, though. And and I, a lot of people don't understand that because I'm so, you know, like so much music so many different kinds of music but yeah he didn't didn't make my list sorry everybody there's so many inappropriate jokes that i would make right now if we weren't on a podcast but uh, anyway (laughs) all right i will try my best to walk that off and pretend that that never happened and uh tell me your next album okay so my next one probably not on your list is matthew sweet's girlfriend so Matthew Sweet, before this album, was uh, kind of trying to get, you know, make it uh, as a pop uh, kind of singer, more poppy songs, wasn't really going anywhere. So he came out with this album after he uh, got divorced from his wife. And so this is not a concept album in in the sense of telling a story, but it's this theme of loss and divorce. And he made some amazing pop songs on it. I would call these power pop songs. The AV Club called it the best power pop album of the 1990s, which is, you know, a very high bar when it comes to power pop in the 1990s. It was listed uh, as The Village Voice says the number seven best album of 1991. I have it at number six. So it did very well on Billboard. It, it really is great. I suggest you, you may only know like the big songs on it, which are Girlfriend and I've Been Waiting, uh, which are uh, amazing. They have the kind of an anime music video to them. And that was also kind of new at the time. People weren't really into anime uh, back in the early 90s. So that was kind of a unique aspect to them. But the whole thing is great. I suggest if you listen to it, just listen to it all the way through. But yeah, Matthew Sweet, Girlfriend. Again, you'll see this trend where some of these guys had like this in a short period of time had amazing albums. His next album, Altered Beast, is one of the best albums I've ever listened to. But maybe we'll talk about that if we get to the anniversary of when that came out in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Or we could not talk um, about it ever as well, boom, since I know boom, nothing boom, boom, about Matthew boom. Sweet. And uh, I don't know. He's just completely been off my radar forever. Next album for me, Cooley High Harmony, debut album by Boys to Men. And uh, some people might be like, Cooley, isn't that a bad word? No, Cooley is... Uh, yes, yes. If you say some, you know, it's a pejorative word in the West Indies, but it's... um. Also where these fellas went to high school, the Cooley Vocational High School. So it's, uh, they're the Cooley High Harmony. This album is a killer debut album. Come on. I mean, what do you, what more do you want out of an album? You, I mean, it was that, it was that time, right? You, it was like this resurgence of these like sort of boy bands, uh, but they were so unbelievably talented. So please don't go. Uh, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Motown Phillies back I love again. that Motown Of course Phillies. you that do. Of course you song. do. Such a good song. They have a song called, uh, 
Ah, and it's a it's a great song as well. I mean, for debut albums, as far as they go, you get at least five, six amazing tracks on this and very, very memorable start to their career. My next one is Temple of the Dog by Temple of the Dog. So we talked about this when we did our Pearl Jam uh, and uh, Nirvana album. We talked about it with Soundgarden as well. So with the death of Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bone, members of what would become Pearl Jam and some members of Soundgarden got together and produced an album, which was Temple of the Dog. Uh, it's so good. So this album, even though it's kind of a, a joint venture between Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, is higher. We didn't mention Bad Motor Finger. D- Bad Motor Finger didn't make my top 10 list. And Pearl Jam Sam was number 10. So this is higher because the there's about four songs on it. Probably the first four songs that are absolutely amazing. So Say Hello to Heaven, Reach Down, Hunger Strike, Pushing Forward Back. Those songs are some of the best songs ever written in this current kind of genre. I love this album. Yeah. Hunger Strike, like, if that comes on, you can forget about communicating with me in, in any meaningful way. I'm I'm totally into that song. I'm singing it. I'm just so down with it. It's such a great album. I'm absolutely on board with that. As I uh, basically, I've got like whatever, I guess mm-hmm. four more, but I'm going to give you two. And then the other two are, you know, take your pick from Temple of the oh, Dog, okay, Pearl yeah. Gem 10, and uh, Nirvana, okay. never mind. You know, they're, they're, they're in there. But this one, I'll be surprised if this is not on your list. It's The Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest. Do you have this mm-hmm. on your list? I don't. Man, we don't even, what, we can't even. I know, we have like different lists. Ridiculous. Dude, such an amazing album. Second studio album came out absolutely swinging the only problem with this album is you know they ran with some other dudes like black sheep and they had these connections to these other rappers and so i bought other albums thinking i was finding you know the next best thing the tribe called quest and i wasted a lot of money on some one hit wonders throughout the years black sheep included but this album is unbelievable this is like really you know, Check the Rhyme is great. Jazz is great. This is where we are introduced to uh, Scenario, right? Which now people go, man, that's a played out song. This is 1991, man. We didn't know who Busta Rhymes was. What's the, what's the, what's the scenario, folks? They told you what it was. It's all great. Even Bugging Out is is fantastic. Butter is amazing. This whole thing is great. I got, man... This is one of my favorite CDs of all time. I own this and I, I treasure this thing to this day. Well, you know, and maybe as we're getting to these these this final ones in in our groupings, it maybe it's kind of this like it may also be where we grew up, right? I know we only grew up two hours from each other. You were in Montreal and I was in Ottawa, so it seems like it's not a big deal. But Montreal is one of the biggest cities in North America, and not just the second largest city in Canada. And so the access you have to bands, concerts, and things like that is much better. And it's better now where I live in Ottawa. Like I said, I saw Tom Petty a few years ago. But back then, very few few artists were were coming through. So I think it you made- raise a good point. I think also as the capital of Canada, you know, when you live in Ottawa, you probably have access to more Canadiana. Compared to in right. Montreal, Quebec, you have access to different things. You're not as you're just not as nationalistic mm. for Canada when you live in Quebec, even though you might want to be. 
somehow it doesn't happen. In fact, I should have some <laughs> French albums here. I should have some Offenbach and uh, I don't know. There, there should be some stuff. So, here, you know, uh, what's it? Rock yeah, Voisin. Rock Voisin, rock yeah, Voisin should have been classic on Rock Voisin. So, yeah, it, it's, there is a possibility that that's why we have these different pathways. I mean, there's many reasons, too. If people want to kind of psychoanalyze us, they can. So, because uh, at least two of these next albums I'm going to talk about are pure they're, they're so canadian it's unbelievable so number four is a spirit of the west and go figure again this is a band i've seen so many this is classic yeah, that's massive right. this is a band right i've seen so many times in concert and many of our we have many listeners who are not canadian and uh you may not know who this band is so this is a canadian band they started kind of as a folk band they came out of uh, the west coast of canada and this album again like a lot of the albums we're talking about was a huge change for them they this is a much more rocking album they had drums they had electric guitar and they were they moved in this direction and so this was kind of one of my i I'd heard about them before and heard a few songs, but this was the main exposure. And this is the first album of theirs that I bought. And then I bought all their old albums and everything going forward. Sadly, their, their lead singer died a few years ago from, he had early onset dementia and passed away from that. And he was, he's him. And I'll get to another one of my favorite. I have about three or four favorite kind of modern Canadian songwriters. Like we're leaving aside, of course, like a Leonard Cohen or Joni Mitchell or things like that. But in terms of modern ones from the past, say 20 or 30 years, their lead singer, John Mann, was one of my favorites. So uh, Spirit of the West, Go Figure, is uh, number four on my list. All right. Give me a couple more then, and then I'll uh, I'll give you my final one, basically. Okay. So, yeah. So I'll go through two more, uh, and then we can say our final. So the next one is The Soul Cages by uh, Sting. <laughs> What's so funny? That's one of my lowlights, dude. Anyway, great. Good. Oh you. my God. No, seriously. And, and I know, uh, you know, Sting kind of gets a lot of flack, you know, dream of the blue turtles and stuff like that. But this album, if you take a listen to it is, is excellent. So what happened with Sting was he had writer's block for about seven years or so after his second solo album came out and he, couldn't really write. And it was associated with the death of his father. Sting grew up in a shipbuilding town in England. And he kind of did this song as a way to kind of address his father's death. And he went back to his his early life living in the shipbuilding town, a working class town. And again, similar to what I talked about before, it's not quite like Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend. It's not quite a concept album, but there's so many themes that go on through all of this. And I love this album. Why Should I Cry For You is uh, is one of the best songs I've ever heard. And he wrote that song first, and that kind of opened the floodgates. And you, you listen to it. It's obviously about loss, and, uh, and, and that opened the floodgates for him to kind of finish the rest of the album and relieve his writer's block. And this was became the basis for the musical The Last Ship, which he wrote, which is kind of based on this uh, shipbuilding uh, town. And uh, anyway, I saw the musical a couple of years ago in Toronto, which was a great musical. So yeah, it's okay. Well, you keep saying ship, by the way, right? We don't need a, a bad language no, advisory no, on this. Uh... Yeah. Okay. I thought it was a really crappy <laughs> building town for a second there. Okay, good. What else you got? Okay, so you want you want me yeah. to do one more? Okay, so the, so the last one, and this is such so again for the people who live outside of Canada, you want to get a glimpse of Canadiana bands. The three main ones we mentioned on here today, I guess we mentioned four. We mentioned Sarah McLaughlin, honorable mentions, but Tragically Hip, that album, Spirit of the West, uh, Go Figure, and this album. So this is by a band called The Lowest of the Low, and they're a band out of Toronto. <laughs> this is, What's up? This is very That's, very. This is like. 
the heart of Canadiana here, man. Wow. It's, it is, there is almost no more Canadian album. Again, some people might say Spirit of the West tragically hit, but all these people we've talked about are the, really the heart of Canadian alternative rock music in the 1990s. Sure. And this album is called, so their album is called Shakespeare My Butt, which is a, just a, such a stupid name for an album. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's a type of thing that makes you not want, it's like, it's like the show Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek, the big problem I had was the title. And then once you watch it, like, this show is so good. Why would you name it that? And that's, that's the way I feel. There's, there's, uh, you know, lots of examples from TV about shows like that. And this album, I'm like, oh, whatever, this sounds stupid. And then you listen to it again, every, song on this album is amazing it's one of my other favorite singer songwriters from this this era is ron hawkins and there's, a dip, there's another ron hawkins who's uh, kind of like a country type uh, singer that's not who it is it's uh, ron hawkins from this band the lowest of the low again is so influential this album it was ranked 84th uh, in a 2007 book by bob mercero the top 100 canadian albums of all time uh it has staying power it's uh it's just great it was the best-selling independent release in canadian history at this point in 1991 and then it got eclipsed by the bare naked ladies yellow tape which just about everybody owned back in the day that that was the bare naked ladies first independent album anyway i would just say take a listen to it i think what i'm going to do i didn't mention this before i probably you probably have not heard so far any clips from these songs because we just have uh from these albums it just there's just too many to put in but i was thinking Ali, what i might do is i might do a playlist on youtube get some exposure to our youtube uh channel and we can create playlists yeah. on that then the way there's no copyright issues of us publishing this with the songs and I'll I'll do a playlist from Ali's albums and my albums, and you can take a look. Sounds good. Going to be a pretty eclectic playlist. Yeah. As you talk about quintessential Canadian bands, though, we can't, we cannot ignore Great Big C, by the way. I mean, that's not a 1991 mm-hmm. list. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But as we talk sure, about, sure. you know, we were mentioning the big dogs. Got to mention. Right? Yeah. Maybe we will do that. If we'll do that for an episode at one point where we each pick, like, a couple of bands or albums and we're like if you want to get into canadian music and maybe stuff you've never heard of before like a great big c is a perfect example where this is quintessentially canadian and most people outside of canada have never heard of this band right before, right we'll right, try to right, make right, some right. picks like that so maybe we'll do that as, as a future one for our uh listeners outside of canada spirit of the west has that song closing time right i always wondered uh, no closing is it- time is semi-sonic which is an american band you're joking yeah Look at the ignorance on display here, everyone. Oh Please, my God. For, your, for your for your listening pleasure, ignorance. I that was Spirit of the ignorance. West. Okay, all no. right. I'm going to see what I was mixing that up with. There's a Spirit of the West song that I completely no. You know what you're thinking of? You're thinking of the song "Home for a Rest," which is played. Okay, That's so now I have to explain it. this for everybody who's listening. Oh and, man, this is the end of their. They're both the end right. of the night. Bars yeah. are these are the last songs. songs. I'm yeah, so sorry. The last sorry. songs that are often played when you're out with your friends at a bar or something like that. So closing time is is a much You'll later song. You have to excuse me. I'm not at my best. Yeah, so it's that, just the most And that's a song that everybody in Canada knows. It was never a big hit for them. Yeah. And it's on their previous yeah. album, the album before this. So yeah, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. that was like quite a digression. It was. It was. We'll see if we even need to keep no, that. No, we got to keep that. That was so good. <laughs> So finally, we um, you brought up the point about location, and we were just talking about how Ottawa and Montreal are very close. But I think, for me, growing up listening to rap, 
you know, location also mattered because I would meet people. I'd go visit my cousin, Zucky, who I've mentioned before on this podcast, who lived in Indiana. And in Indiana, even though it's the Midwest, that's where I would hear more like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and NWA and Ice Cube, which I didn't hear as much in Montreal. In Montreal, it was much more stuff out of New York. Hence my love for bands like De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest. You know, that's who was coming up is these New York bands. So one of the best sort of East Coast rappers in my mind is is KRS-One, if not the one of my favorite albums of all time is something called Edutainment, which I just love. So again, this is a live album. This is KRS-One with Boogie Down Productions, and it's an album called Live Hardcore Worldwide. It's just an awesome album. And there's a quote from a music journalist, Chris Wilde. He wrote in the source that yes, BDP fans should absolutely buy this album, but so should anybody who is interested in what a real hip hop show sounds like. And that's to me, you know, a lot of rap my entire life. It's been like chasing the dragon and the dragon is KRS-One and Boogie Down Production. Edutainment, one of the first albums I ever had. And so this album is just like... Like you're trying to get back to that. You're trying to get back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was real, like the way he presents himself, the way he is on stage. When I saw him at Metropolis, a relatively small venue, and it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. But this album tracks to to the list here, and it'll take too much time. But I, I will say that if you can get your hands on and your eyes on and your ears on live hardcore world worldwide by boogie down productions it is a fantastic album and i think again you know this goes back to what you said at the very beginning why this is so difficult because our top 10 lists are very different sure are and and this was one year in music Mm. (laughs) like one year in music and all these albums came out it's 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 unbelievable yeah and so you have a number one album that you have i imagine it's nothing we've heard about from my list just yet it is yeah. not correct and uh, it, but it is an album we talked about last month and that is u2's octung baby yes. uh, so out of all the albums we talked about over the past uh, few months uh, and every album we talked about today this is the album that stays with me the most i think it changed it definitely changed u2 sound it changed what we expect from rock music and alternative music did it music. change you as a person I did yeah. in certain yeah. ways. Sweet. So anyway, this album is is amazing, and and as you said, maybe this this list could change, you know, tomorrow if I re- reconsidered it, or with some of the albums you've talked about. I'm like, I forgot about those, and maybe I re- reconsider. But for now, that's my list, and, and I think it just goes to show, like what you said at the very beginning is so true. This this is all from one year, and our lists are very different. We only had one or two albums that were the same, and so. It's just, it's just crazy. It's, it's, it's a, an unbelievable year for, for music. And like I said, I'll try and do some playlists on YouTube so you can sample some songs from each of these albums and I'll tweet out uh, each of our lists and you can review and, and let us know what are your favorite albums from uh, this year. And just before we wrap up, three lowlights to share with you of 1991. Oh, yeah, the lowlights. Well, the lowlights well, is because I lowlights. love these bands. I love these people. And then it was disappointment throughout. So number one, Sting. Now I, love the police i can't tell you how much i love the police i love that like ska reggae type of vibe that they brought and i realized that because 
there was this period, like the soul cage is this drony. I was like, what is this? And I understand, I, I respect the fact that it was for his dead father and it was, it was, it was about pain and, and, you know, um, uh, going through grief and all that, but it just wasn't for me. And sure enough, as soon as he got back to his, I'm an Englishman in New York, like a little bit more uplifting and upbeat, I'm back in the sting. You know, I didn't write him off forever, but that album was painful for me to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It is it is a different album for him. I don't know, man. You sound very, very heartless, you know? It was dad. Yeah. God. <laughs> mean oh gosh okay next up david lee roth had an album called a little ain't enough one of the worst pieces of trash i've ever heard david lee roth i mean uh you know i think i've told this story like uh i had pictures of this man on my wall my entire life he was like your favorite spandex you could you could see that he was jewish the spandex was so tight he was uh, plastered on my wall with his high kicks and it was um, i love this dude and then he leaves Van Halen, you know, under whatever dubious circumstances, who kicked out who, how did this happen? Mm-hmm, he was trying to mm-hmm. act like, you know, they're nothing without me. And then it just got ugly. And then he puts out this album and it was just terrible. I just couldn't believe. Uh, I was like, I, I guess I have to move on. You know, as a kid, you're like, I guess, I guess I'm no longer a fan. This can't, this, mm-hmm. this relationship is over. So that sucked. And then finally, I really liked Queen, man. I loved Queen. I loved Queen because I was one of the few guys who knew Freddie Mercury. Yeah, Mercury was I a Parsi. Queen as well, yep. And this album that they have, I can't remember the name of this album now. Innuendo, Innuendo is exactly. the name of the album. I really didn't like this album. And you know what? Freddie Mercury died like in 91, like a few months after this album was released. And I don't know. There's, there's just sadness around this for some reason. It's like he went out on a kind of a low note. And I, I hate to say that. I'm sure... They loved this album and worked very hard on it, but it just didn't have what I had grown to love uh, about Queen. It's it's so interesting you say that because I remember this album coming out and I remember, I think Innuendo was the first single and I remember it not being very good. And, uh, and then you're like, yeah, Innuendo was the first single. And then... And then he died. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he died. And then you know what the last song of this album is? It's actually a song oh, that's quite famous now by, uh, by, yeah. by Queen. Yeah. The Show Must Go On, which is a, probably yes. the best song of the album. And that kind of became like, okay, this yeah. is the anthem. You know, when we think and process his death and what happens with Queen later, the show must go on. It's funny. So this album, I agree with you when it came out, nobody liked it. It wasn't very good. And then he passed away. And then it kind of took on this new life, especially with that last song on it. You mentioned my heartlessness with respect to Sting. I feel very heartless also in this regard, because I spoke to Brian May recently. If anybody ever wants to uh, look up one of my favorite interviews with a musician was with Brian May on Q. I was filling in on Q on, on, on CBC radio and it was an extended, it was such a good interview. We did a part, it had to go into like the second block. It was an extended interview. It was such a great chat, not such a good interview, but he was complimentary of my interviewing as well, just because I was prepared and I was excited to talk. Did you slag this album? I didn't, but I am doing it now, aren't I? And I feel bad because as you look at it, like (laughs) half this, you know, Brian May is on, on this entire album as he, you know, as he would be obviously writing songs and singing songs. And, you know, anyway, with apologies to Brian May and apologies to Sting, who will one day listen to this. They just weren't for me, but but your body of work is phenomenal. But those albums sucked an egg. Do I, Ali, I can't believe you didn't mention one of the big bands from 1991, 
Enough is enough. <laughs> Enough's enough sucked, okay, everybody? And so you want to talk about low life. Uh, low, low life. Low are, life. Oh, man, too they, much. They too are much. low lives. Low life. So the reason why Enough's enough is so funny, and my, my friend uh, uh, Corey will probably defend them because uh, he, I think he liked Enough's enough. So they were, in 1991, Rolling Stone said they were going to be the band of the year and the band of the 1990s. I mean, in 1991, I mean, can you, like, we just named 20 plus different artists, including our list and the honorable mentions <laughs> that were the bands and singers and songwriters of the 1990s. And yeah. Enough is Enough was not one of them. So, uh, oh my gosh, could you have been more wrong, Rolling Stone? They that are the real, yeah. <laughs> that's the real low light of, uh, of, uh, the uh, 1990s yeah, was Rolling Stone. The funniest thing about this band is, uh, Enough. Zed Nuff, right? So enough is enough. Uh, formed by <laughs> formed by singer Donnie V and bassist Chip Zenuff. His name was Zenuff. This I I don't know. I this is ridiculous. The whole band, like you can't. How are you taking this seriously, Rolling Stone? Come on. Okay, Asif, this was a sort of perfect tie-in to this idea that I've discussed with you offline, as you like to say, uh, about this 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 phenomenon of this this love we have with music. You know, I, th I think I've told you about this. Russell Peters, of all people, just freed me one day. I had a very had a huge insecurity about the fact that. I, since 2000, music just doesn't do it for me the way it used to. It just doesn't. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, that's not because of music. That's because of me. And I will, you know, I'll work on myself. I'll get help. I'll find out how to connect with music. And for sure, there have been, you know, those various bands that I've really loved. Arcade Fire comes to mind. A lot of Montreal bands. And they're amazing in the moment. But it doesn't last. It doesn't stick. It doesn't motivate me to go and like listen to the entire album. I don't have that anymore. And more than anything, I can't remember lyrics, man. I tried to remember like two paragraphs, maybe like two two paragraphs worth of maybe like a chorus and some lyrics from a, a Kendrick Lamar song. Impossible, man. It's gone within like five minutes. But I. Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen, a song that doesn't even have a chorus. Okay. I just, it's just words from six minutes worth of words. I can still recite every word of Thunder Road. I can recite every word of The Power of Love by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I hadn't heard that song in maybe 10 years. And then my friend Scott Jardines, a shout out to the Jardines of, uh, of uh, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Just kind of started singing it because I mentioned Frankie Goes to Hollywood and we sang the entire song. His wife rolling her eyes the entire time, but Scott and I just sang the entire song. And every line, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I remember the next line. And it would just come to me. And, and then I'm like, okay, I know that you. part, wow. but then I probably don't know I, the next I could one. probably do that with The Glory of Love by Peter Satira from the Karate Kid Part <laughs> 2 soundtrack. But. <laughs> so I, this is what I want to talk to you about. What is it? What's it? Is it our brains? Is it the song? You know. Is it the music? What's happening, buddy? So, yeah, I mean, the question in this, is it more of a sociological thing or is it more of a neurochemical thing, like a neurology thing, or is it a bit of both? And as usual, it's probably more of a bit of both. If you want to read someone who knows about this really, like, is the expert in this, it's Daniel Levitin. I know that he, name. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you've read some books uh, by him probably. He's a neuroscientist who used to be a music producer. So he did music production for a bit and then he went to neuroscience. So a lot of his neuroscience uh, research and a lot of his uh, books are on this subject of, of, of how our brain interacts with music. And so his one of his books from several years ago is called This Is Your Brain on Music. A lot of people have heard about this book mm, and read it. Absolutely. It's, it's very well known. And so I would certainly suggest you check out his his work on this. And even just talking to some of my friends, I said, oh, we're going to do this topic. They're like, oh, like Daniel Levitin, right? I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like this is this is the guy who kind of made it mainstream. So listen, when Levitin says that when we're listening to music, our brains are engaged in such a complex task that it's nothing that you can replicate with a computer or uh, artificial intelligence. So we have like sound, what is it? SoundCloud. What's the one? Oh, Shazam, I should say, where, you know, you play a song and Shazam can tell you what song it is and things like that. But but that's different. That's not replicating when you hear these auditory waves in your brain, how they're processed by your brain. We can't do things like that. And, um, you know, we've found over time that there's a connection between these songs we heard, especially when we're teens and young adults, and and how it interacts with our brain. So when we first hear a song, it uh, activates our tympanic membrane, sound vibrations in our ear, and then it gets transmitted to our auditory cortex, and we convert the rhythms, melodies, and harmonies into a, you know, this whole, and that that's that's the, that's the song. But there's been some other things that they found with looking at different areas of the brain. So one is that when we listen to our favorite songs, especially these songs from our youth, they stimulate these pleasure centers in our brain, and we see dopamine release. And we know that dopamine, and there's other ones as well, so serotonin, uh, oxytocin, and, and some other ones. But we know about dopamine, right? Dopamine is 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 involved in pleasure. It's involved in addiction, right? Dopamine can be released either from uh, substances that like drugs that can cause addiction, or things like gambling, right? And uh, uh, they can be involved in that kind of feedback loop with that. So we do get this kind of pleasure sensation from listening to some of these uh, some of these songs. So this dopamine is released, but it's just interesting because for some people, it's like death metal that releases it. For some people, <laughs> it's like uh, whatever, a Billy Ocean song, you know, <laughs> or uh, yeah. be happy. You know what I mean? I can't remember yeah. that dude's name. But anyway, like, is it the beat? Is it the rhythm? Is it something about the music or it has to do with the person themselves? Well, it's interesting you mentioned about rhythm because uh, when Dan Levitin was like kind of looking at some of this stuff, they did some uh, MRI studies, some kind of high-end, very technical MRI studies, and they saw that one of the areas that's involved is their cerebellum. And if I, if you tell just a neurologist, oh, is the cerebellum that's involved when you're listening to music? The cerebellum, we don't think has anything to do with music or hearing or anything like that. So the cerebellum is a very is in the very back part of our brain. And it's involved with the fine tuning of motor movements. That's actually how it works. It's kind of like a regulator where it it, it will compare the mu- movement you wanted to do to what you intended to do and kind of fine tune it. That's kind of how it works. So why would that be involved? And so part of his research suggests that A, the cerebellum, uh, which we thought was mainly involved in movement, probably does play a role in emotion, first of all. But it's interesting what happens is the you'll have this beat in your 
beat playing in, in a in a uh, song, and they'll see that beat kind of show up in the cerebellum. And they think that the cerebellum is like, you know, acknowledging that beat and then associating that with a positive emotion. And then if it's a familiar beat, you get even more emotion because of that. But then sometimes it's the opposite. You know, when you hear like a really novel uh, kind of beat or percussion or rhythm in, in, in a song where it zigs when you think it's going to zag. You know, it's it's going one way. Like, oh wow, that was kind of cool. Your cerebellum, your cerebellum likes that even more, and you get more kind of emotion out of that. So it's 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 fascinating because, like I said, this is not just telling us a bit about music and emotion. It's also telling us about the some areas of our brain which we don't think are involved in certain things like emotion and and hearing songs can can um, can have that function. It's very interesting because you and I have a friend, a Q, who's a musician, and and he's showed this to me on screen. You know, you, there's this idea that you know dance music is so repetitive. Everybody has a that joke about the beat is so repetitive, but he's shown me on the screen where, like, just as it starts to get repetitive, there are these subtle, sometimes not so subtle, but very subtle changes in the music and. I would have never known about those changes had he not shown them to me on these like sort of, you know, um, the, the, this linear, whatever these are called, these, the, these bars, wavelengths or whatever they're called. Man, my music knowledge <laughs> sucks. But you see exactly where one beat kind of disappears or increases or something new comes in. And these elements, I guess, keep you engaged with the song that way. Tell me this, is, uh, is how you listened to something... Uh, does that play a role? Like, for example, I I might be introduced to a new song today, but I might be in traffic mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about like my kid's tuition is due and I'm thinking about, you know, I'm going to be late for something. Uh, was it, is it connected to, you know, when we were listening to music as, as young people, we were relatively worry-free and we were, we were just like sort of enjoying it at a different level. Does that if impact how much you connect to uh, music 20, 30 years later? Yeah. So let's talk about it from two different things. One is kind of the way you experience music. And then we could talk about it as well from, you know, why the brain kind of processes it in a certain way. But we could do it however you want. Oh, thanks. He's so yeah. Nice. So, nice. so the one thing is it's something called the power of firsts, right? When you're a teenager, adolescent, young adult, you're going through a lot of firsts for the first time, right? You never forget your first time. We'll say you mean kiss by that or date. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> first yeah, kiss, yeah. first date, first time traveling abroad, first time away from home, first concert you ever went to, right? Sure. You Where, in the news. Yeah, uh, when you go away for school, maybe the first time. And so, oh, my first concert, by the way, if you're wondering, Cheap Trick and opening for them, any money. Oh yeah, nice, that was good. Yeah. dude. That's good classic rock right oh, there. Oh yeah, you no see, one should be slagging you off for that. That's, that's right. Great. So, um, your first two you tickets have all to these, paradise. That's, that's right. So you have all these firsts early on, and so those ones, the, the, the you remember the first thing, and then as you get older, what do you remember? You remember, okay, my first job, and then you remember, I don't know, my first child obviously and then you remember well my first marriage thankfully both of us are on our first marriages and uh that, that what other first do you have right you know like you, you know oh my first friend who passes away like as you get older like i don't know what else do we have right so so you just have so many firsts in such a short period of time that's one of the reasons why it's linked to it 
another reason is kind of um, it's kind of the way commercial music works, especially when we used to listen to the radio a lot. Now I'm sure this it's it's mainly because people are on social media and TikTok and they're hearing songs and you hear these explosions, right? Songs are just getting insanely popular very quickly because of things like TikTok. Back in the day, you would hear a song for a certain a period of time, maybe for several weeks as it goes up the charts. We talked about, say, 1991, Brian Adams, Everything I Do. You hear that? Oh, it's with the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack because that movie's coming out. And then that song goes up the chart. It stays on the chart for however long that song was in the chart for weeks or months. And then it goes down. So then you have this distinct period of time, several weeks or months, where you heard this song all the time because we heard that song all the time, right? So even just your daily experiences are associated with that. And so the song will become embedded to that time and place. Whereas there are songs like, you know, Happy Birthday or Hearing Your Country's National Anthem that are, you hear them all the time, right? So they don't become embedded in the same way. So part of it is that just, again, that associating that with that certain time in your life. And of course, the first that we talked about before. Well, okay. So ask, uh, let me ask you this then, uh, slightly related. We heard things for longer periods of time, right? That just that's just a fact in the eighties and nineties, things were on radio. There was a limited yeah. number of radio stations. Yeah. Your only way out was to go and purchase albums. And let's take our kids right now, our kids in 20, 30 years, will they have connections to the songs they're listening yeah, to right now? That's a really good point. And I, and I hope so because it is fun to kind of reminisce, right? About these things as yeah. we've been doing in this whole episode. And I, I think they probably will. Will it be in the same way? I don't know. Cause I don't know how long songs stay in the popular culture. And I'm sure there are um, sociologists, music scientists who are looking yeah. at this right now and comparing it to before. But we know that our brains continue to develop up until our early 20s, right? And you have this time between 12 and 22 where you have this increase alterations in our brain structure. Things become more fixed and it undergoes what's called pruning. So you grow your brain and you grow these connections. And then like a gardener, your brain and your body snips these connections that are not necessary and prunes things down. And that's when you kind of get really things hardwired. And you can think about that, right? Because your personality is developing, developing, and then you you have your early 20s and then you're kind of set in your personality. Most people don't change after that in terms of who they I are. I grow. I and evolve. I don't know phenomenon. about you, buddy. We don't mean growing uh, uh, width-wise. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like. Okay, anyway. So our brains undergo this thing. And also during that time, you make these neural connections. So these neural connections are creating. Then you're having this growth and this pruning. But we also know that emotions, when they're associated with memory, kind of take a different pathway. What happens is our amygdala, which is part of our temporal lobe, which helps to store memories, and all of the neurotransmitters and all the neurotransmitters in that area, they tag memories associated with emotion as important, right? And, and that's probably evolutionary because, you know, you're being chased by a tiger. It's scary, right? You want to remember that you don't want to be in the situation where you're being chased by a tiger. So emotions there, whether they're positive emotions, negative emotions, become tied to more things. And we've all been teenagers in the past. A lot of emotional ups and downs when you're a teenager, right? A lot of strong emotions. We 
changes we were chased by the music of glass oh, tiger yes. things change yeah i was thinking about glass tiger the other day another great canadian band maybe not one of the all-time classics but they were still good not all time but you know with lover boy paola yeah, i was thinking about the song too. diamond sun you know I, I i like that song i don't know i like it i don't know anyway it's but it's just connected to our youth yeah. anyway, so that that's what kind of happens and there's something that they've talked that neuroscientists have talked about, which is called the reminiscence bump. And it's that phenomenon. It was kind of what we've been discussing this whole time, where we remember so much of our younger adult lives more vividly. We can recall things, your stage diving and whatever. We can recall them, those memories much better than more recent stuff. Like, tell me what you did yesterday. And it probably is going to be difficult to know. But you can des describe that whole stage diving incident with a tragically hip so clearly, right? And, you know, the reasons for why we have this reminiscence bump has to do a lot with what we've talked about before, with the neurodevelopment of the brain, the pruning that goes on, and a um, the psychologist aspect would say this is, as I talked about, the emergence of the stable and enduring self over that time. It's when you become you, when we all became ourselves. So, in other words, it's not just something that you experience, it's something that made you who you were, right? And so there's, you know, on Netflix, there's a show, uh, a series, the movies that made us, the games that made us, right? The things that made us. And it sounds a bit kind of annoying and cliche and trite to say stuff like that. But literally, that's what we're talking about, right? They, they, they did make you because they became part of your self-image and self. It's so kind of interesting because you can, you could take these sociological things and these psychological things, and then you could pair that together with the neuroscience to kind of explain why, why this all occurs. So this is basically it. It, it all has to do with uh, memory and uh, and how we're developing at that time. And of course, why our memories are more entrenched then than we are now. As an example, Ali, you started telling me a story about Russell Peters and some advice he gave you. Uh, that was your second name drop of the of the show after Brian <laughs> May. And yet you never told me what advice yeah. he gave you. <laughs> I never, I never tell you, sorry. It wasn't advice he gave oh, me. Okay. He just said it in an interview. He said out loud. I mean, he's, you know, I, I've spoken to him a, a number of times. He's a great dude for me. He's, I've always liked this guy, but he said something very freeing, which was, I don't listen to any music after the year 2000. And I was like, what? You're allowed to say that? You're allowed to do that? That's possible? How do you just, you know, meanwhile, like I'm telling you, I'm trying to memorize like Kendrick Lamar songs and really trying to get into new music. And Russell was like, no, after 2000, music's crap. Don't care about it. I'm pre-2000. That's who I am. That's where I live. That's the music I play. That's what I listen to. That's what I DJ. And I was like, wow, I love the idea that you can just be like, I am content with this. I think... I don't know. I was just putting too much pressure on myself. If you, if I just live in my past, it's okay. That's what I've learned from Russell Peters. Okay, well, that's our show for today. Definitely let us know what you think. Very curious what you guys think about our top 10 lists. And we're curious to hear yours. So we'll put uh, ours out on Twitter and on our Facebook page. And you guys let us know. Uh, do you agree, disagree? What would, what did we forget? What are some uh, stone cold classics that we didn't get into? And we wanted to release this episode before the holidays because... 
ideally, I hope anyway, that the holidays will be a time where you, you know, search those playlists on Spotify or YouTube or wherever you go to listen to your music these days. And um, yeah, this might uh, give you a little trip down memory lane, sing some music at the top of your lungs, annoy your family and your children and... Uh, and, and do it unapologetically. Yeah, because people are probably going to be home for the holidays, maybe in a confined space. What better way to brainwash them into the music that you exactly. liked? And it's different, right? Because if you have kids, your kids are probably younger than you, I would assume, unless there was some weirdo time travel involved. So if that's the case, they're in the age where this is going to be part of their formative years. So you can see you'll brainwash them to liking form, your music. Form it's their beautiful. Minds. It's beautiful. And speaking of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that's where you can find our show. Make sure you follow us and turn on the automatic downloads. That really helps us out. People who may have gotten a new uh, I, iPhone software update, I guess is what it's called. iPhone update. Yeah, uh, you, you have to redo the, uh, you might have to redo the automatic downloads. So don't forget to do that for us. And uh, communicate with us, uh, Dr. V Comedian, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Dr. V Comedian at gmail.com. Before we wrap up, I did want to give a, a shout out to a podcast that Asif and I have both been getting into. It is called Obsessed. It is award-winning. It is a self-help podcast hosted by Tristan, Tia, Julia, and Mika. They are experts with over 30 years of combined experience in the fields of psychology, mental health, personal development, entrepreneurship. The Obsessed podcast tackles topics that we do also, you know, relationships, parenting, friendships, family dynamic, uh, sexuality, toxic relationships, identity issues, all these kind of things. And, and the podcast is aimed at uh, helping you live your best life possible. We feel, Asif and I, that that's what we are trying to do here. I don't know if we're succeeding. Obsessed definitely does it. Hopefully, you'll, you take a look at that podcast. And hopefully, you have a safe, happy, stress-free holiday season. And before we go, remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Although my advice on albums you should listen to, you should follow. But consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Okay, Asif. Enough's enough. Bye. Welcome to Obsessed. We are obsessed with humans on the verge of change. I have a question for you. Are you exhausted with living a life less than what you have always dreamed of? Do you feel like you are that hamster on a wheel and you're not quite sure how to jump off or when to jump off? If you answered yes, then today is the day. Today is the day you are going to get obsessed. Get obsessed with your own life. Tia, Tristan, Mika, and I, Jules, are offering up a different kind of advice podcast. We offer up real ways to change your life. We are there for your questions when life gets unpredictable and doesn't it always seem unpredictable these days? We're a collective of four experts in the personal development field who are devoted to helping you live the life you are meant to be living. Consider us your personal development entourage all wrapped up into one life-changing experience. 
you'll have at your fingertips a therapist, a nutritionist, a coach, and a self-esteem expert. We will be going deep into the topics that we personally as women struggle with on a daily basis. We talk about careers, relationships, aging, body image, self-esteem, parenting, and so much more. And we give you the answers. We provide you with the blueprint to get you from here to there. We're not hype. We are real girls trying to figure it out just like you. So starting April 1st, your go-to girls will be dropping episodes weekly. So grab your pen and paper and get ready to sit at the feet of some life-altering conversations. The Obsessed Girls want to hear from you. After all, this podcast is all about you and for you. Subscribe to our podcast, leave your comments, but better yet, send us a note. Tell us what you need to know to be living your best life. We will answer all your questions personally. That's how much you mean to us. So right now, this very minute, start getting obsessed with your life.